And so this morning, we are in part number two of this bounty series. It's a real quick one, just two parts. We're finished. Last week, we talked about understanding kingdom abundance. Bounty is, I think, appropriate to the season as we head into Thanksgiving. You see many times in decorations, you see all of the fruit, the gathering harvest, the pumpkins, the apples, the corn. You see the cornucopia, which is that um, picture, that illustration, that metaphor for all of the bounty that, that God has blessed us with in our crops and our harvest. It's an agricultural metaphor. If you're not a farmer, it still applies because God has brought bounty into your life this year in numerous kinds of ways. And the greatest thing that you can do is stop and pause and consider those things. The writer of the old hymn said, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. And when we're focused all the time on what we don't have and what we've not yet accomplished, then we create an atmosphere of frustration instead of living in an action of gratitude. Gratitude, thank you, is the password into his presence. His presence is what we need in order to be able to accomplish our, the the kind of family life we want to have, the kind of marriage that you want to have, the kind of children you want to raise, the kind of business, the culture that you want to build in the people around you, on your team, at your job, whether you own it or whether you're working for someone else. You want to be a contributing producer and not just a consumer. You want to add to and not subtract. You don't want to just be a sponge and just suck up all the blessings and not be turning them back out again. That's, that's a picture of the Dead Sea in Israel packed with an invaluable amount of, of minerals, but nothing can live in it. I remember when I took my trip to Israel and uh, we all got out there and, and floated. It's this, it's this, the, con, the salt content is so outrageously high in the Dead Sea that you just, you just bob like an apple on the top. There is no sinking. And um, the Jordan River flows down to the Dead Sea, but that's it. There's no outflow. And that's what happens in our lives when we're constantly taking in and not giving out, whether it's with our time or our talent or our treasure. We want to keep uh, the tide comes in, but the tide also must go back out. We, God is making investments and deposits into our lives, and we need to turn and make investments and deposits into the lives of others in every way. You want to have friends? Proverbs says, show yourself friendly. You want to be loved? Then be a lover. Now interpret that however you want to, but I'm using it in the biblical sense. Greater love has no man than this, than when a man lay his life down for his, for his friends. Brother, that's fine. We'll, we'll take that one too. Um, this morning, as we move into the second part here of managing kingdom abundance. We, we talked last week out of 2, two Corinthians, was 9, uh, 10, and 11a, that God gives bread, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, and he gives increase. He provides the resources, and then the increase those resources bring. And so this morning as we look, I'm going to use an extensive passage. It's going to take a minute to get through it. Because this is a parable that Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew. In Luke, it's referred to as the parable of the minas, which is a particular monetary value. In Matthew, it's called the parable of the talents. And too many times in Southern churchianity and American churches, we've interpreted that to mean, okay, she can sing, he's organizational, she's a leader, um, he is, has a gift of the prophetic, she has a gift of, of mercy, and or talent. We think of someone who has the skill to draw or maybe put a whole look together to, in, to his design an interior that provides a vibe or a mood or, or peace uh, in a business or in a home. And all of those are skills, they're talents. But the talent in this passage is not talking about natural abilities. These talents is a wedge of gold, okay? So the talent that you hear about in the King James Version, this is one reason why I use a newer translation, because I don't have to take a lot of time trying to unpack 300-year-old Elizabethan English words that we don't use anymore. Somebody say amen. 
And so we use the New Living Translation here, which is a very reliable one. And I'm going to be looking today to Matthew 25, and it's verse 14 through 30. So we've got 17 verses to read, okay? So just find a screen, and let's, let's jump in. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, and every time we get to an emboldened phrase, I want you to read it out loud with me, please, okay? He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. Now, remember, you've heard this as he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And you've always heard it as well, this one can sing and she can draw and he can, you know, and, and that's probably, it's not a misapplication, but it's not really the correct way to interpret this passage because it's talking about money. It's clearly about money. Okay. Five bags, two bags, one bag of silver, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and what? earned five more. Verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Verse 18, but the servant who received the one bag of silver, what did he do? Dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to, here we go, give an account of how they had used his money. Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 22. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. Verse 23, the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been, here we go, faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Verse 25, I was what? Oh my gosh, this is so powerful when we get there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I was afraid I would lose. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back, 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you, he's, he's going to say it in the, next, in the next sentence, at least, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. This is so powerful. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. That, that, that slaps. Ooh, that, that's hard. That is a hard saying right there. Verse 30. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. One thing, I don't have a new one. I'm going to use the same one I used last Sunday. It goes like this. Read it with me, please. Come on, from the outset, let's get 110%. Here we go. Whatever God blesses, multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. One more time so you'll get it. Whatever God blesses, what? Multiplies. What's my job? To grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today 
thank you for your goodness and your mercy, for the indescribable gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love of God that casts out all fear. Lord, I love the song that Scott led us in this morning. My fear doesn't stand a chance when it's in the presence of your love. God, baptize us in your love today. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John says. Help us when we're afraid. Help us to be strong and to be persevering and to stand up and to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Lord, we ask you today as you remind us, and I confess to you and before this people that I need you. Lord, I need you every hour I need you. I acknowledge that apart from you that I can do nothing. But I'm also grateful, Father, that I'm no longer apart from you, but that we're joined. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I pray today for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, who leads us into all truth, that you would bring clarity to my thinking and my words, brevity, O God, to my speech, Lord, so that we can absorb and apply and not only believe, but believe it enough to do it. We ask you for this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? Somebody say amen. All right, quickly, we're going to get some principles of kingdom management. Last week was about stretching your understanding to see that whatever God blesses, he multiplies. You plant one seed, one corn, one little kernel of corn, out from the ground comes a a shoot, a sprout, that will grow into a stalk that will have at least three to six ears of corn in that one stalk. Every one of those full-grown ears of corn will have from 300 to 1,000 grains that each themselves can be planted and become a single plant that will produce three to six more ears. So everything God blesses multiplies. There is abundance around you if you can see it. I'm not going to go back and re-preach that. Everything is free to you online. We don't sell anything. You can access that from our website. You can get a regularly uh, scheduled podcast that will update if you want to go on iTunes, uh, other uh, YouTube as well. And so all kinds of ways you can view this as a video or you can listen to it in your car as an audio. So that's available to you. But this morning, I want to just move through these 17 verses of this parable of the three servants. Because it's not about the money that they were each given as much as how they handled it individually. Because our job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that we can faithfully steward, manage the increase of God in our lives. There are principles of kingdom management. The scripture says in verse 14... And the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money. Everybody say entrusted his money. First of all, I want you to recognize the the very first principle from the outset. Number one is that the biblical position is stewardship. The biblical position is stewardship. You can go to the Bible and pull all of the verses that lean toward the idea of prosperity. And that's, that's a good thing to do. But like all truth, which is a tension between two extremes, there is a spectrum and there's an opposite side to that. Now, because I've got a switch in my thinking and, and do a mirror here. Let's put poverty on the left and let's go to the far, to the right side and let's put prosperity, okay? And let me just tell you that there are churches that subscribe to either or of these two sides. I do not in any way want to be offensive to you based on your denominational heritage. I am grateful for mine. I want you to appreciate and celebrate yours. Sometimes our heritage is lean us toward a particular view of something in scripture when it's only one side of it. And truth is like a coin. It has two sides. Okay. And the beauty of the fact is that you can hold a coin and look at one side all the while God is on both sides. He's on the side you're looking at and he's on the other side too. Okay. And so you can take scriptures that teach poverty, 
Don't store up treasures in earth where moth and dust corrupt, but store up treasures in heaven. And all of the verses of scripture that warn against wealth. And one of the probably the greatest mis, misquoted ones is the idea out of 1 Timothy where people will tell you, well, you know, money is the root of all evil. And that's not, a, that's not what it says. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. How many of you know you don't have to have any of it to love it? So it's important that we learn how money can be dangerous. And like I told you last week, the greater test is always prosperity because when you don't know where your next meal's coming from, staying in a spiritual mindset's not a hard thing to do because you know you better get on your face and pray and go, God, I need you to provide my next meal. But how many of you know God doesn't want you to stay in a place where you're always living on the edge and don't know where your next meal's coming from? How many of you know it's not a sin to have a freezer full? How many of you know it's not a sin to have a 401k that's growing and, and it's flourishing? It's, it's not sinful to have a bank account that's not down to the last $2. Uh, and, and, and let me just say, I, I, I want you to know that, that it's easy to take one side or the other. And I grew up a Pentecostal, and I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, it, it taught me a lot of wonderful things about the presence of the Holy Spirit that other denominations didn't get. But with that came a poverty mindset. My grandfather was so poor, he never owned a car. Was born in 1892, known as the godliest man in Mark Tree, Arkansas. Jake Blake was a healer. He laid hands on people regularly and, and the Lord healed them. You believe that, Pastor? Oh, I know it happened. I've seen it happen. I stood in his little old three-room house. Well, one, two, three, four. It's two bedrooms and a living room and a kitchen. Didn't even have hot water. Never. I mean, until they died, he didn't have hot water. They had to put it on the, on the stove and boil it. They had to boil water and put it in the bathtub. There was no shower. And before I was born, they didn't even have indoor plumbing. They had an outdoor Johnny back in the back, backyard in, in Mark Tree, Arkansas. That's how poor. My mother said that they were so poor that the poor folks called them poor. And in the church of God, they had a saying, Father, we just pray that you will just, Lord, keep our pastor humble. If you'll keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And that was the idea that a lot of people had about spirituality because they had taken all the poverty scriptures, ignored all the prosperity ones, and all of the warnings against what wealth can do and the temptation that come when you misuse wealth. Now, how many of you know that, it's, that cars are dangerous? Everybody, come on, say amen. I'm throwing you a curveball here. Somebody tell me the truth. Say yes, cars are dangerous. Say amen. But every one of you, you didn't walk this morning just because the car is dangerous. You got in that car, you, you obeyed traffic laws, some of you did, and you got here. You, might have, you may have had a fuss on the way, you may have been driving because you were late for being here, but you still got in a dangerous thing and drove here. You took a risk because you know that if you use it properly, the benefits far outweigh the risks of getting behind that wheel. Wealth can be a blessing of God. Wealth can be dangerous when you dwell only in a poverty mentality and you ignore the side of prosperity, then you are putting yourself into a limiting belief system. Now, the, the American prosperity movement, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, the faith movement, those guys came along and they swung the pendulum hard from this side over to this side to the point that prosperity has become synonymous with the American dream. And I'm telling you, that's not the gospel. God's not going to make everybody a millionaire. Now, I don't want to upset you. But I believe biblical prosperity is having everything you need and then some. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, so how do I balance these two opposing sides of truth? Because truth is the tension between two extremes. And the balance of the scripture, the biblical position is stewardship. When you don't have anything, you need to get baptized in the prosperity scriptures and stand on some promises of God. And then when you get blessed, you need to learn how to manage those blessings that start coming in your life. You get a little over the top with your prosperity and you start having confidence in your ability to get it, then you might need to let go of some of it and go, God, I'm going to kind of move to the edge a little bit more and exercise my faith because it's always a balance between the two. It's stewardship. Point number two, kingdom discipleship is about maturity. 
God wants to grow us up. When you were first born again, how many remember when you first got born again, you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you remember how every prayer you prayed got answered? Does anybody remember that? A couple of folks who raised your hand. You remember how exciting it was and you trusted the Lord and there was, there was truly something that's substantially, there was a transformation that was taking place in your life and every prayer you prayed got answered. And then you continue to grow and walk with God and it's like, God, what happened? Did you move off somewhere? My, my prayers are not being answered. Let me just remind you that every baby that's born into a family, every time that newborn baby cries, those parents rush to put a bottle in its mouth, to clean its backside and put a fresh diaper on it and walk it around and cuddle it and coddle it and rock it and all of these kinds of things. But how many of you know if mama's still rocking that boy at 21, something's wrong with mama and something's wrong with the boy too? The object is, is that we grow up. That means that every time I go, wah, God doesn't jump and answer what I ask for because he wants to, me to mature. I remember as a young preteen, we are a totally Southern family, and my mama made iced tea better than anybody I have ever seen in my life can make it. There's a certain way you do it, and you got to get that sugar in there in the water before you pour the hot tea in, and you got to get that dissolved, and you don't put the sugar in after because it doesn't taste the same. And I remember growing up that I would ask for some, and they would just get it and hand it to me. And then as I got older, my mom would say, well, you got two legs. Go out, go, 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 to, the, go to the cabinet and get you a cup and get you some ice. And the tea is in a pitcher in the refrigerator. Just pour yourself some. And, and, and then I remembered once I was a teenager, my mama said, you know, maybe it's time you learned that that tea doesn't just magically appear in that refrigerator. Uh, that, that This is how you make it. And so it was steps of maturity that I was growing in. And, and, and I, I didn't just say, Mom, I want some tea and her bring it to me. She said, no, get up and go get it. And then she said, let me show you how to make it so you can participate as a family member and not just be a consumer, but be a producer along with the rest of us and make sure that the tea pitcher stays full in the refrigerator so every time we all want some, there's going to be some there for us. Are you guys seeing the illustration this morning? So as we grow in our walk in God, he wants to mature us. The children of Israel for 40 years had their breakfast out on the lawn. They just basically, they didn't even have to drive down to McDonald's to get their egg McMuffin. They just walked out there and got their McManna sandwich off of the yard. But once they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, the manna ceased. And God said, here's some seed, put the seed in the ground, grow you some full-grown corn. When maturity comes, it's not always having a, a, a spirit of entitlement about myself, but it's about, okay, God wants to show me how I can begin to do some things, not just believe it, but believe it enough to do it so that I can begin to see blessing and increase grow in my life. Don't shout me down. Somebody say amen. Come on. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Number three, the kingdom of God is built on trust. God has entrusted every one of you in this room with finance. It, it can be contingent upon the level of education you have, the current job that you're holding right now. Maybe, let's just tell the truth. You know, sometimes life isn't about bad luck. Sometimes bad things happen because I make stupid decisions. Now, I'm going to tell the truth this morning. I don't want to offend you, and I'm always going to put it in the first person, so I'm talking about me. Y'all, present company, are excluded, okay? Let's just try to make sure... That when you're hearing this, listen for where it can apply. Is there something that I can grab hold of here? Kingdom of God is a trust. So what I want to say to you from that is right now I have all that God can currently trust me with. If I am stewarding faithfully in small things, this passage tells me that he will eventually give me many more responsibilities. If I take the two bags of silver and turn them into four and then turn it back to him. He hands it all back to me anyway. Isn't that amazing? And he says, now guess what? On top of that, I'm going to give you some more responsibility, some more problems to solve. Wow. Point number four. Look at this. The investments were not equal. 
but according to their abilities. He gave five bags of silver in verse 15 to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it to into proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Now, I just want to say something to you this morning, and, 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 and this is already, I just want to give you a little bit of warning. This is caveat emptor. Beware the buyer, because this has got an edge to it, and I may offend some of you. Fairness is an American idea. It is not a kingdom idea. I know that our, our Declaration of Independence says that, that all men are created equal. In the, in the sense of our humanity and our dignity and the image of God in us, red and yellow, black and white, all men are created equal. But yet we don't all start out with the same thing. We don't all have the same resources. Some born into families of abject poverty, some born into families of billionaires, B with a B. It's not the same. And it has to do with what I do with what I've been given. It's not about everybody is equal. And if you think that God up in heaven is responsible to make sure that you're equal to everybody else around you, you are setting yourself up for offense. You are going to get offended and frustrated and ticked off because that's not how the kingdom operates. If you'll take what you have and quit comparing yourself to everybody else and learn to faithfully manage what you've got, God will blow his blessing on it. And he'll multiply it and scare you with so much blessing. <laughs> the investments were not equal, but according to their abilities. Whatever God blesses multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. Number five, are you getting anything out of this? Number five, notice how the three handled the challenge. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest. I think that's an interesting use of words there. Began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work. Now, I think this guy invested in a business. I, I'm not, I, I can't prove that. And it really doesn't matter if it is or not. It's just an interesting twist on the words here. One guy's making investments and letting money work for him. Another guy took his money, had a product that he wanted to create or sell or whatever, and he went to work. So he's using his money to be multiplied, but he's working in that business, okay? And however you do it, I think that we all ought to have multiple ways. We all ought to have some multiple income streams in our lives, he took the two bags of silver and also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, look what he did. Everybody say, dug a hole. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. And verse 19 says, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Now, first of all, let me just get this settled. Everything you've got belongs to God. I don't care that the house is in your name and the car is in your name and the, the credit cards are in your name and the bank account's in your name. It's God's. And God can blow on all of it at any time. And it's gone. So we don't want to trust in riches because riches won't save you. Righteousness is what saves you. And that's by faith, by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. All right, but this isn't about salvation. This is not a salvation parable. This is a stewardship, a management parable. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? Billy Graham said this one time. He says, you really want to show me how much Jesus is Lord of your life? Show me two things. Let me see your calendar. What do you do with your time? Let me see your checkbook. What do you do with your money? Accountability is a kingdom principle. We will all stand before God, the Bema seat of Christ, not be judged as sinners. This is not a salvation issue because I was judged at the cross 2,000 years ago and because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, when I stand before him, it's not hanging in the balance as to whether or not I'm going to make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. That's already secured. I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption. That's over with. That's done. He bought it. He paid for it. When I stand before him in judgment, it's going to be about rewards based on the actions that I have done while in the body. Somebody say amen. Number seven, faithfulness in little brings much blessing. 
The servant, verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. Where are we? There it is. And I have earned five more. Verse 21, it says, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been reading with me, faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. So, and he goes through this process twice with the five bag servant, with the two bag servant. Okay, well done. You've been faithful in handling these small things. And many more responsibilities are going to be given to you. So faithfulness in little brings much blessing. When I take care of little things, God's going to bless me with greater things. That ought to get a good hearty amen. Just be faithful. Pay your bills. Do the right thing. Okay? Point number eight. Kingdom promotion means handling responsibility in order to be given greater responsibility. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to soft pedal it. If there's a lot of drama in your life and you're always complaining about all the problems you have to handle, do not set yourself up for the expectation of ever being a leader. Because leaders handle problems. I I don't know if he's here this morning. I, I love Glenn Fender. If there ever has been a man that's been shot at from all directions through this last season we've been in, It's my brother, Glenn. Pray for him. I said, pray for him. He needs needs your prayer. Because no matter what you do, whatever decisions you make, you're going to tick somebody off. And I I cleaned up what I was thinking right then. You're going to make somebody mad. And any leader who's solving problems, let me tell you something. When you solve problems, promotion comes Promotion doesn't just mean a bigger paycheck. Promotion means you get to handle bigger problems to solve them. That's a kingdom principle. And and you know what? Why do we think God's going to make us in the kingdom in the future that we're going to rule over cities and right now we can't even rule our own checkbook? It's too quiet in here. Y'all don't shout me down. Can't even pay our bills on time. Kingdom promotion means handling responsibility in order to be given greater responsibility. The servant with the one bag of silver, verse 24, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was what? Everybody say it. I was afraid. Fear. God help us. Fear will cripple you. Fear will will limit you from being the champion that God has called you to be. Because anything that's going to be worth a great reward is going to require some risk. Come on, until you got up the courage to look her in the eye and move in for the kiss and to tell the girl that you loved how you felt about her. There was the the risk of possibly her not returning the way you felt. But when you are willing to believe in that enough that you would take that risk, sometimes you got to, as, as the old southern redneck said, you got to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> I was afraid. And look at what he says, I was afraid I would lose. How many times do people not step out and do anything great because they're afraid they're going to lose? So what if you lose? It's a learning experience. And because you're a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, you'll get a lesson out of it so that you can learn something and do a better job the next time. Because God redeems our failures. And any successful leader knows that failure is part of the process toward success. Failure is never final in the kingdom of God. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And I want you to stop, because I saw this as I was preparing before the service began with the media team, and I didn't even see it until I was standing here and looking at this wall on this side. I was afraid, so I hid. People, that's been happening since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve broke the law of God, the commandment of God, and they sewed some aprons made out of fig leaves together and the scripture says they were afraid so they hid how many of you know when fear has gripped your heart 
you're hiding behind circumstances or, well, I just I don't really feel like it or, no, I don't think this, you know, and, and, and we're limiting ourselves. I was afraid, so I hid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And notice what the master said, you wicked and lazy servant, verse 26. If you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have given some in, gotten some interest on it. He says, then he ordered, take the money. Now, this is the hard part. It, this, this smacks. It's, this is hard. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags. God, why would you do that? He's got ten. Well, it's because he knows how to handle what I've put in his hand. He's made an investment. He's taken a risk. He's stepped out in faith. He's invested. People don't talk about this in church. Because money is one of those things, two things you don't go near, money and sex. And you know something, whether you want to admit it or not, <laughs> help me, Holy Ghost, how I can redeem what I just about to said. Both of them are designed by God to accomplish something wonderful in your life. When they're managed in the parameters that God sets, it's indescribable. When you misuse either one of them, it's hell on earth. Don't shout me down. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You helped me dig myself out of a grave before I laid down in it. <laughs> Finally, number 10, salvation is by grace alone. This is not a salvation passage. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, verse 29, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. See, folks, it ain't about what you believe. It's about what you believe enough to do. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Salvation is by grace alone, but rewards are based on obedience. Whatever God blesses multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can be faithfully stewarding the increase of God in my life. All right. I have a few practical principles here I want to get, and I don't have to get them all. But I, I do want to leave you with some practical stuff this morning. Have you got anything out of this so far? Come on. Here we go. Just hang with me. Just give me five minutes. Number one, this is common sense. You want to be a faithful representative of the kingdom of God? Pay your bills. Say, pay your bills. Number two, live beneath your means. Do not be about the business of overextending yourself because if you do that, you'll never make enough money. Whether you're making $500 a week or you're making $500,000 a week. This is something I've really just been hammering into both of my children because they're both very successful right now. And I said, you know what? If you don't learn how to manage what you have been had putting in your hands, it will never be enough. You're just always living just a little bit above. And if you don't learn how to manage, you're going to turn around here in 10 years and have made outrageous amounts of money and not have a thing to show for it. You do not want to be that story. Live beneath your means. There is a great principle I want to tell you. This is, there's more than I can do here today. This is a seminar in itself. Everybody say 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. Give God the first 10. He promises he'll bless the, the remaining 90. Pay yourself the second 10. Make investments. Put it in your 401k. Get yourself some kind of a, uh, I, I do drip. I, I drip into several different stocks. Dividend reinvestment plans. Just 100 bucks a month. I got, I've got so many Procter & Gamble shares right now. You know why I bought that? Because there ain't going to ever be a time when people don't need cleaning stuff. I started buying it in the 70s, and it's about $145 a share as of Friday. It's going like a house on fire. Just a little bit. How many times have I sat down and counseled with young couples that are ready to get married, and we took a whole evening in premarital counseling talking about money, and I would literally beg them. I said, look, I know that it doesn't seem like very much, but right now, start out putting $25 a month. Don't touch it. Have it withdrawn. Get yourself a, a, a stock 
investor, Edward Jones or whoever, whatever you want to do, get somebody and make this a draw on your account, $25 a month into a mutual fund, into a, something that is indexed to the S&P 500. For 80-something years, the stock market, the S&P, has averaged 11%, sometimes as low as 4 sometimes as high as 30 Folk, you take your little savings account to the bank, and you know what you're earning right now at the bank? I think it's one half of 1% interest. Are you kidding me? If, 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 you've, if, if you have been smart and you've put together a nice little nest egg, let's just say just an arbitrary number. Let's say you've got a little $5,000 emergency fund set aside, and you've got it sitting in the bank, and it's sitting on one quarter of 1% interest. Did you know that we're in right now an inflationary period of 6.5% interest and you are losing money every day? I, I believe you ought to have an emergency fund with some cash immediately. Personally, my amount is $1,000 and then I've got some other cash available, but it's sitting in a money market account that's earning more than a quarter of 1%. Now, am I being, is this too carnal to talk about money, trying to help folk recognize that there's some ways? You know what? We're not succeeding because we are financially illiterate as the church. Nobody said amen. Please hear me this morning. I, I, I want us to recognize that there's a blessing of God that'll come. If we will give God the first 10, we will pay ourselves the next 10 and then live on the 80. Learn to live on a margin less than what you're making. Well, pastor, I'm already overextended right now. I can't do that, okay? I want to help you. Number, number three, are you getting anything out of this? Number three, pay the minimum payment on your credit cards right now. Stop paying extra. Just pay the minimum until you can put together an emergency fund of $1,000. I think that's a minimum. Get you an emergency fund of $1,000 so if the car breaks down, you don't have to put that repair on a credit card. Okay? Number four, get out of debt. Stop running a whole handful. Some of you got a whole deck of cards. And you're running multiple cards of high interest rates, and it's killing you. It was Rockefeller who said, the man who understands the time value of interest of money will be paid. The man who doesn't will be paying the interest. We are financially illiterate. We need to grow and mature financially. We need to learn. We need to get ourselves educated. Well, I'm not a reader. There are podcasts you can listen to. We're not. We are without excuse. I mean, my God, just turn on PBS and watch Susie Orman. I, forgive me. I don't want to be carnal, but that's a hot chick. I'm going to tell you that she is sharp financially. She is amazing. I li every time I get a chance to hear her, I'm listening to what Susie Orman says. Dave Ramsey, we're going to offer financial peace class in 2022. Hopefully some of you'll sign up for that. Get out of debt. Start a debt snowball. Pay the minimum after you get your emergency fund, pay the minimum amount on all your credit cards, except the one you owe the least amount on and that's where your extra money that you have now, double up on it. And then when you get that one paid, turn and take every bit of that and put it on the next one. Don't keep that card and keep charging on it. Maybe we'll put it in a drawer or cut it in two and quit using it. But then roll that amount of money you were paying on that first one along with the, the minimum payment onto the second one. And keep rolling that snowball. Literally, I have known people who have knocked out thirty dollars or $40,000 of credit card debt in, a, in literally less than two years because they started doing that and quit charging stuff on their cards and learned to live on the 10-10-80 principle. Al, am I preaching good here? Understand the difference in saving and investing, but do both. Number six, get multiple income streams. Figure out a way. There's a way to do. I mean, if it's just if it's a paper route. I mean, what? Of course, they don't even do the paper anymore. There, you know, there's plenty of ways that you can make extra money. Just pray and ask God. God will give you. Proverbs 13 says, "I wisdom create witty inventions." If you have a need, pray. God will give it to you. Years ago, I was I was over my eyeballs in credit card debt because I couldn't say no to my family. And I said, God, I need some help. And he says, what's in your hand? And I said, well, I can play the piano. He said, start teaching piano students. And everything I made on piano, I started paying my credit cards off. At one point, we were over $50,000 in credit card debt. 
And I knocked that out, working extra, other income streams. Get you a side hustle somehow. Number eight, think big, start small. How many times have young couples come to me after 20 years of marriage and said, Pastor, I wish that I would have started what you said do, $25 a month, $50 a month into a mutual fund, if I had. Because along the way, you start seeing it grow and you increase, you get a salary increase, you get a promotion, and you learn to continue to live beneath your means. And before you know it, you've got a nest egg. You can retire at 65 and be a millionaire. As a matter of fact, did you know that the vast majority of millionaires in America never made more than $100,000 in a year's time, but they live beneath their means and they learn how to save and they learn how to invest. I can't tell whether y'all love me or not. Just trying to help you. Two more and I'm finished. Number nine, unchecked desires are your greatest enemy in financial stability. I love things. I love clothes, cars, stuff. But this generation, we are so gripped, and I put me in it. We are so gripped with, I got to have it, and I got to have it right now. I want instant gratification. Come on. Chick-fil-A has spoiled us. All these other fast food places, you can sit there 20 minutes waiting to get your, hold your pickles, hold your lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. It'll be cold by the time you get it. But they've got people standing out there in the line taking your order at Chick-fil-A and we learn how to get through there and it's in a hurry and it's fresh and it's hot and it's great and it's quality. And you can go plug it in the microwave and you can have instant grits and you can have instant this or that. But you know something, real things that produce great value, the scripture says in the book of Proverbs that wealth gained instantly tends to nothing. But when we grow it little by little, it brings prosperity. Because when you invest in it, over time. That's the reason when people win the lottery in five years, they ain't got a nickel to their name because they just blow through it because it didn't cost them their sweat and their energy and their planning and their stewarding and their investing. Number 10, and this is it, I'm finished. Educate yourself in financial literacy. The Bible let me, let me, I feel like I need to redeem myself with this because I've talked so practically this morning and folk don't think this is spiritual enough. Did you know the Bible talks about money more than it talks about hell? Did you know there are more verses in the Bible than there are on money than there are on prayer? Money and how you manage it, how you steward it how you take care of the stuff that's been put into your hand and your care. There are more verses in the Bible about money and how you handle it than there are verses on prayer. That blows my mind. So that means that God considers it to be pretty important. And when I'm dancing between poverty on one side and prosperity on the other, and I can come back to the place God as much as it offends my mind, I know that right now I have everything that you can presently trust me with. Teach me how to be faithful in the little things. Some of you want a new car right now, but you ain't washed the one you're driving in months. Now I tell you, Victory, we keep it real around here. You know, well, I can't afford to go take it down there and let them custom. Well, you got, a, you, you got a vacuum cleaner. You got a hose. Turn that water hose on and get you a sponge, baby, and go out there and just wash it to the glory of God. Because when we take care of what we have, God blesses. He blesses it, and what he blesses multiplies. Did you get anything out of this this morning? I hope you did. Praise God. I'm a little, I'm a, just a couple minutes over, but I, and I want to end with this. I want to bring this back around. Let's, let's baptize it in the spiritual now that we've been so plain and so money and so carnal and so worldly. Jesus made the greatest investment that could ever be made. He laid down his life. He, he left the riches of heaven and he became poor. He became a slave. He became a servant of servants. Found himself in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself. 
and literally died a criminal's death. And that investment was for your life. He paid off your debt. He paid your sin debt. So that means that you can stand before God and your account's already marked paid in full. And how you take advantage of that is you lean into that and you receive that gift by grace. And in faith, you say, I believe you did that for me. Change my life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. You've made this investment for me. Now, let me take that investment and let me multiply it so that it blesses you and your kingdom. That's very simply what it means to learn to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus. Because when I do that, he touches my life. And the scripture says, whatever my hand touches, he'll cause it to prosper. He'll bless it. And then when the blessing shows up, I have to learn how to manage it. And then take that blessing and give it to some others. This morning as we close this service, we've been talking to you for weeks about our miracle offering. And I've got mine ready. Matter of fact, I already put it back there on the conference table where the brothers go and brothers and the sisters. We've got some men and women that both go and count and sign off on that and verify that. I left my check, $1,000, because I'm sowing a seed. So this morning, because Jesus sowed a seed into your life, and if you've never crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, save me, Lord, I received that investment of eternal life into my heart. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If there's anything in this message today, as we bow our hearts before you, Lord, anything in this message that has grabbed you or, or just really gotten your attention and said, I, I need to apply that in my life. Or maybe you've never said, Jesus, save me. If, if any of those things are for you this morning and you would just say, Pastor, pray for me. No one's looking around, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And just say, Pastor, pray for me. Slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you. Anybody in the room? Thank you. There's, there's two or three. Yes. Father, thank you for these hands that went up. I ask you, Lord, that you remind us that thank you is the password into your presence. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what we have. Thank you for wisdom to handle what you've given us so that we can steward the increase of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the person who's never crossed that line of faith that right now as they just say, Jesus, save me, say that in your heart. I trust you. I turn from my past I turn to you in faith and I ask you to forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make that investment in my life, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, put your hands together and give the Lord praise.